It's time for another quack cast. This one is the 129th, and it's called Alternative Microbiology. Quote, A man of science rises ever in seeking truth, and if he never finds it in its wholeness, he discovers nevertheless very significant fragments, and these fragments of universal truth are precisely what constitutes science. Claude Bernard. I almost never have to search for material for the quack cast. The secret always seems to provide topics. Subject matter appears unbidden out of the ether. But not this week. I enjoy deconstructing the nonsense of a scam paper or a blog entry more than any other type of podcast. Perhaps the glee that scam stud provided had to be countered by some kind of cosmic balancing mechanism. Although the rational part of my mind objects to the personification of random existence, I suppose that the universe just does not want me to have that much fun. Two podcasts in a row. Probably it explains why I have a viral URI and my brain has slowed almost to the point of functional inactivity. There is no shortage of scams to write about, they are just not all created equal in their ability to generate a passionate rant. I am, as you know, if you are a regular reader, an infectious disease doc, ID. I find the field endlessly fascinating, as ID reaches into all aspects of the human condition. I remember when I was driving from Minneapolis to Los Angeles in 1986 to begin my fellowship, and Dr. Petersdorf wrote his infamous article that ID was a dying profession, and soon, thanks to antibiotics, vaccines, and other advances, infections would become a problem of the past. Fortunately for me, and unfortunately for thousands of people, that prediction has not come to pass, and we are slowly sliding into the post-antibiotic era where soon I will be able to diagnose but not treat disease, just like a neurologist. That's a little joke at my neurology colleagues. Infections have always been a major cause of human morbidity and mortality. Through most of human history, infections, trauma, and starvation were the primary ways by which humans died. And humans used to get eaten. I am so glad that I don't have to worry about getting eaten by some other animal. I think that's probably one of the great advances of human civilization, not having to worry about becoming food. Tremendous amounts of work by thousands of people have elucidated many of the factors that increase the risk of infection. There are well over a million citations on the PubMeds if you search for infection. Medicine has pushed infectious diseases to the edge of society. Compared to the past, most outpatient infections are trivial or easily treated. Tuberculosis, malaria, yellow fever, smallpox, measles, typhoid fever, etc., etc., no longer commonly plague those in the developed world. With the understanding of the life cycle of diseases, how they are spread, good nutrition, vaccinations, flush toilets, and a reasonably safe food supply, we don't get infected at the rates that occurred in the bad old days. Infections do happen, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for no reason at all, and with just enough frequency to keep me gainfully employed. Although, as I have whined about in the past, my consult volumes have declined about 50% this century as we have learned how to prevent many of the hospital-acquired infections that once made up much of my practice.
we have an incredible understanding of the microbiologic pathogens that try and kill us and that someday, unless we are cremated, will consume us all. There is so much we understand about the microbial world and its interactions with us that it always flabbers my gaster to run across some form of alternative microbiology. The many reality-free and somewhat incoherent frameworks that deny germs, that deny our understanding of microbiology, and have discovered their own unique understanding of the pathogenicity of various organisms. Rather than my usual detailed deconstruction of a single topic or idea, today will be a bird's eye view, a compendium of microbiologic weirdness as seen through the fog of a viral-induced interferon. I came across a particular book, The Genesis of Germs, by Dr. Alan Gillen, G-I-L-L-E-N. The doctorate, very ironically indeed, is in science education. Like last week's computer science degree, evidently the science part was thought to be superfluous in the degree, who is a professor of biology at Liberty University. Now, from my understanding, life on Earth is old, billions of years old, and germs, as with all life, have evolved slowly over time. I never really had a sense of that time until I read John McPhee's Annals of a Former World, a great book, one of the few I've read twice. Dr. Gillen has an alternative explanation for germs and infectious diseases. I knew of intelligent design mostly in the context of the battles over the teaching of evolution in the schools several years ago, but I never paid it much mind professionally. Ideas often understood as applied evolution. It may be bacterial resistance or the human response to the disease, but evolution has left its footprints all over my subspecialty. And let me tell you, they don't wipe their feet before they come in. I suspect there are more variations in the human genome as a response to infections than to any other process. I have a whole lecture on the topic. What is odd from Gillen's textbook is that he starts from the premise that the world is about 6,000 years old, that evolution is not true, and that intelligent design explains the world. Then he creatively interprets microbiology to fit these preconceived ideas. Why do we have germs and infection? Original sin. Quote, It was not until after sin entered the world that some microorganisms became pathogenic or harmful to man. One explanation is that the good bacteria began to deteriorate or degenerate into pathogenic bacteria. Given that the genome of pathogens is very complex, it hardly seems like they are deteriorating. But he continues, Genomic decay is one of the most likely theories for explaining the origin of bacterial pathogenicity. No, it's not. When a bacterium degenerates, it loses valuable information and must find other sources to survive. Bacteria generally are made of one cell. As they lose information from their genetic hardware, they consequently can no longer produce their own needed materials to synthesize their cell parts. And so, as they lack information, they have to gain that information from some other creature, an animal or a person. In doing so, they cause disease symptoms, end quote. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more irrational explanation of infectious diseases than Dr. Gilliam. Somehow, I do not think that this is a conceptual framework that will result in a deeper understanding of disease pathogenesis and treatment. 
Solutions to the next pandemic are unlikely to be forthcoming from the biology graduates of Liberty University. As we slowly slide into the post-antibiotic era, I am not sanguine that his approach of belief in scripture in Jesus leading to an end of germs and infectious diseases is likely to help me treat the next patient who has a multidrug-resistant E. coli infection. I know we have been writing on this topic for years, but it remains remarkable how huge amounts of information can be ignored or creatively interpreted if they do not fit pre-existing beliefs. How refining one's facts lead to an opinion, or does opinion lead to your understanding of facts? My infectious disease career, now in its 30th year, has been one of constant reassessment of my understanding of infectious diseases as new information appears with a change in my practice as a result. The old saying is that half of what you learn in medical school will be eventually proven wrong. The problem is that you do not know which half. It must be nice not to have to worry about those pesky facts or reality or having to change your mind. We have pro-scam commentators who come and go at the blog Science-Based Medicine, and they all have a common characteristic. They do not change their mind because of facts. The pattern is consistent. They make errors of fact, and those errors are corrected. But the pro-scam commenter never admits that they were in error, ever. Nor they ever have a change of opinion as a result of new information. They simply move on to other errors in fact. I suspect all the information about germs that contradict Dr. Gillen's understanding of infection as a fall from grace 6,000 years ago cannot and will not be incorporated into a better understanding of infectious diseases. I am glad that the Dr. Gillens of the world, who advocate for a biblical or creation perspective on disease, are not in charge of the CDC. The first case of AIDS were reported when I was in medical school. AIDS has gone from a curiosity of unknown cause to a plague that filled my hospitals with sick and dying young men to an often manageable chronic illness. It has been rare to see a death due to HIV this century. This is so much better compared to the six months from diagnosis to dead we used to see. It is amazing what we have learned about HIV in such a short period of time and its complications. And I would point out that none of the increase in survival that we have seen in AIDS is in any way due to alternative medications of any kind. Science-based medicine, it delivers. Quote, germs don't cause disease. If they did, we'd all be dead. That's a quote that Harriet Hall heard a chiropractor make. Yet there are those who still deny that HIV leads to AIDS. Last year, I heard Peter H. Duesberg deliver a gish gallop on this opinion, contrary to a positively enormous scientific literature that HIV does not cause AIDS, but instead is due to drugs and sexual promiscuity. He may be one of the more prominent AIDS deniers. As I mentioned in the past, reality is a honey badger. It don't care what your opinion is. You can deny the importance of HIV and convene a panel, as did the president of South Africa, with Dr. Duesberg as a member, and support policies that HIV is not responsible for AIDS and promote alternative therapies. What's the result of doing that? Death. Quote, Once the battle was lost in the courts and in the political arena, the health minister, whose name I can't pronounce, continued to portray ARVs, antiretroviral medications, as poison 
and to support alternative untested therapies. Demographic modeling suggested that if the national government had used ARVs for prevention and treatment at the same rate as Western CAPE, which defied national policy on HIV medications, then about 171,000 HIV infections and 343,000 deaths could have been prevented between 1999 and 2007. End of quote. That is a remarkable record and a depressing result of denying reality. Not just HIV, there is still a contingent of people who deny germs cause disease, which is, to my mind is akin to denying that water is wet. Quote, we do not catch diseases, we build them. We have to eat, drink, think, and feel them into existence. We work hard at developing our diseases. We must work just as hard at restoring health. The presence of germs does not constitute the presence of a disease. Bacteria are scavengers of nature. They reduce dead tissue to its smallest element. Bacteria have no influence whatsoever on live cells. Germs or microbes flourish as scavengers at the site of disease. They are just living on the unprocessed metabolic waste and diseased, malnourished, non-resistant tissue in the first place. They are not the cause of disease any more than flies and maggots cause garbage, end of quote. A reliable feature of a germ denier is they spread the lie that Pasteur recanted on his deathbed that bacteria causes disease. His final words were, I cannot, in response to being offered a glass of milk, although I suspect he spoke in French. He was right when he said, Gentlemen, it is the microbes who will have the last word. I've given thought to my last words. I want them to be directed to my brother. I want to be on my deathbed and say, Touched you last. Like he will even let me do that on my deathbed. Quote, The real mystery, one that deeply intrigued me for 25 years, is that so many therapies that totally disagree with one another manage to bring results. Ayurveda isn't Qigong, yoga isn't Reiki, none of them is placebo. Yet somehow healing exists and the channel it takes can be quite unexpected and inexplicable. By Deepak Chopra. It's no mystery to me. They are all nonsense. But for every scam, there is an equal and opposite scam. For every homeopathic nostrum, there is a megadose therapy. And for every germ denier, there's a proponent that all diseases or symptoms are due to infections. That's true of interesting diseases, however, but not in the scam world. Holda Clark was of the opinion that all cancers and all other diseases were due to a liver fluke, Fasciolopsis busci, and that HIV was due to the same pathogen. She thought that if the liver fluke established itself in the thymus, I wonder why it would be called a liver fluke, that it causes HIV AIDS. And then there is candida, not candida, and Lyme, both allegedly causing the same list of symptoms. How to tell the difference between the two? I have Lyme, given that only Lyme has the symptom of decreased ability to spell correctly, or the imaginary infection of Morgellons, or the Marshall Protocol, which hypothesizes, amongst other things, that autoimmune disease are perpetuated by bacterial colonies and biofilms and that promoting vitamin D deficiency is the treatment. 
you really know there is something wrong with an alternative therapy if even Dr. Marcola finds fault with it. So many different ways to ignore real, complex, and interesting fields of microbiology and infectious diseases. New microbiology, ignoring microbiology, new diseases and life cycles, hitherto unheard of for existing organisms. A rich fantasy world. Quote, Despisers of their fellows, they make poor observations because they choose among the results of their experience that only what suits their object, neglecting whatever is unrelated to it, and carefully setting aside everything that might tend toward the idea they wish to combat. Claude Bernard again. And that ends the 129th Quackcast.